Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Instructor Podcast, where every week we're joined by experts and innovators, leaders and game changers, so we can hold a mirror up at the instructor industry and see where we can improve and raise our standards. So if you're ready, we'll make a start. Thank you for joining us on episode two of the Instructor where we shine light on our industry to see where we can improve. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to Amanda Leak, discussing all things marketing. So if you're enjoying these episodes, make sure you click the subscribe button so it goes into your feed every time you get a new episode released. But for now, let's crack on with the show. We are joined today by the wonderful Amanda Leek. Good afternoon, Amanda. How are you today? Hello, I'm very good. Thank you. Um, Yeah, excited to be here. Good stuff. It's great to have you here. So first of all, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and about what what you're doing now? Um, Well, right now I do um, content marketing, uh, online social media, blogs and also press, PR, um, for mostly smaller and quirkier and unusual companies, um, or at least unusual angles. So I'm um, kind of seeing newsworthy stories and everything. Um, and I have a membership um, for, well, it started as just for social media um, help, but it's grown a bit. So incorporate a bit of press stuff for um, smaller businesses that can't afford, you know, a big agency. So um, I can kind of help everyone help each other. And that's changing a little bit, which, um, you know, I can I can uh, tell you a little bit more uh, later or, uh, you know, give you links to find out more. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. But my background was in uh, journalism and I'm a qualified journalist. So that's how um, it's overlapped a lot with content writing and marketing and uh, now as a PI I know exactly what you know journalists want um so yeah that's my that's my good career story <laughs> plenty of mistakes along the way don't worry um I mean I've known you for a little while now and I have to be honest I never realized you actually were a journalist I always got the impression it was more of an interest than an actual career um what was your I don't know what the term is speciality was there a <laughs> Was there a speciality or was it more broad or? Yeah, like, um, well, I've uh, NCTJ qualification, uh, which kind of starts mostly in uh, local news. And so from there, I did the traditional route of local news. And uh, so from there, I've done uh, different things. We've done finance and technology and businessy um, topics, areas, beats, as they say. <laughs> um, but I've also done um, arts and culture. And obviously, I have an interest in that more artistic and and literary things so yeah a bit of a bit of a mixture um, awesome so yeah there's quite a, a broad range there with, with the local stuff is that the uh, you know cat up the tree stuff is it all the, <laughs> yeah. the really mundane so as you say at the end of look north and stuff like that yeah it can be it can be um from 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 well from crime uh we actually i did sort of tracking um across a google map sort of the crime each week for a local paper so that was quite interesting 
Um, from that to road accidents, which probably contributed to me not being in journalism anymore. Um, yeah, local local news can be quite in your face, but then on the other hand, it can be quite random and silly and fluffy. And uh, so obviously my favourites were finding stories from the RSPCA or about pets and stuff. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good training to start in local. Yeah, for anyone that, that doesn't know Amanda, there, there's definitely an animal theme <laughs> to everything you do. Right through to your memberships, you've got your, your, your paid one, which is Pounce. And yes. then I think there's a free one, which is, is it Pause to Pounce, is it? Yeah, so Facebook group, Pause to Pounce. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's cool. And, and that's that's one of the, or the biggest things, I suppose, you've kind of, we've got you in stock about today, which is the, the marketing side of it. So we all background there. That's going to be pretty cool. Um. I'm going to jump in, though, straight away with something that perked my attention slightly, and I'm going to ask your opinion on it as a, as a, a former journalist and someone that's still involved in that thing. Now, you mentioned road traffic accidents. Uh, technically, I think they're now called road traffic collisions to reduce the idea of it being an accident. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed recently is that these aren't massively reported. They're not massively pushed out there. They're, they're almost they're not hidden. But it doesn't appear to be news. I mean, on average, not at the minute because of lockdown, obviously, but prior to lockdown, on average, five people die every day in England, in the UK, um, which is quite a significant number of people to die due to a road traffic accident. So just to get straight into the serious stuff, why do you think, or do you have an opinion as to why that's not at the forefront if, if that many people are dying on a daily basis? That is that is a good question. Um, so one of the most I, I just I just realised I mentioned that because that was quite um, a turning point for me being um, well I suppose a little bit traumatised when I went out to cover a road accident and I watched the CCTV and it was quite drastic and it was fatal and it was a lorry versus a motorbike um, and there was lots of witnesses so I suppose that was obvious for like a story and to be covered. And maybe it's just, well, I suppose there's so many CCTVs around, you know, apparently, you know, 90 something percent of the world is covered with CCTV or at least in the UK. So I don't think that's an issue, but maybe it's an issue of not having witnesses. But it, yeah, I mean, that's just something I can think of just because the story I covered was quite, um, in the middle of a busy street and so that was huge news and front page news um and yeah it is interesting and even just country roads as well I mean you said about my love of animals and uh and when I've been on a one day um which which I can explain why but uh went to like a one day sort of refresher driving um course um the they were talking about you know animal fatalities and country roads and stuff and then I also worked in an animal rescue centre for about a week and pretty much all the injuries came from um, came from cars and and people speeding um and yeah that's not covered at all like no one cares <laughs> yeah. to to write about the uh, the stories of the animals of how many you know foxes are hit by cars I suppose um yeah so that is interesting I guess I don't know why but maybe it's not as exciting as a as crime or you know an obvious intent but 
and and yeah and they I suppose they do call it accidents but then when you get to it most of the accidents have um some sort of rule breaking behind them so um yeah well especially speeding so it's interesting or drunk driving yeah and those are the big ones I think you you made a point there that that I think is relevant. And again, I'm, I have no journalistic background at all. This is just my take as a, as a layman, mm. which is, I don't, it's almost not news anymore mm. because it's that frequent, become desensitized to it. And I just compare it to another thing that's going on at the minute. And I, I don't want this to be a conversation about COVID at all. But, mm. you know, if you look at the first wave, the first lockdown, how many people were dying and how, that was reported and how people handling that and, and reacting to that. And then you look at the second wave where, you know, similar and then higher numbers. And it was almost a shrug of the shoulders by people that got yeah. used to it by then. So my, my guess would be that I think you said, it's not exciting. It's, it's not newsworthy. It's not exciting because it happens all the time. So whatever, but, but yeah, I thought just where you mentioned that, I thought that was quite a, an interesting point. So, you know, thank you for answering that one. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess we're getting into where uh, sensationalism there as well, because, you know, the, the mundane but important things are not reported. But uh, if there's something really gory or unusual or horrific, that's always front page news, even though it might not necessarily be it might just be a random fluke um, or it might be that it's um, or it's not news, but it's, it's sort of sensationalized. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I guess, you know, people are just driving every day. So it's like, Oh yeah, that's fine. Nothing will put us <laughs> off anyway. <laughs> that's it. I mean, you see that many people on the road every day that it's, it's almost expected that that's going to happen, which that's probably not a good thing. Um, mm. Anyway, taking a step back just slightly from the, the serious stuff, one of the questions that I like to ask people, especially the sort of the, the guys that aren't in the industry, if you like, is about your driving skills. I know you can drive. So just cast your Mac back, cast your Mac, cast your mind back to your driving test and just tell me a little bit about how you found learning to drive and how you found the test and how you dealt with that. Um, so I, it's been quite a few twists and turns, actually. So when... Um... My family moved to New Zealand and I went to university there um, from London, which is where I'm from, and then moved back. So just as I was in sixth form here, um, I started some lessons, but wasn't quite ready for the test and family moved to New Zealand. Um, so at, at 17, the instructor didn't seem, um, I suppose I could say he's not good, but like there's all sorts of types of not good. Um, but he just seemed to be wanting to make jokes or, you know, get on with me rather than making me test ready, especially when there was a bit of time in it too, because uh, I didn't know how long I would have. Um, and then when I got to New Zealand, um, I was lucky and I found an instructor that, um, that I got on great with and I had an office job. So driving back and forth in rush hour uh, taught me all sorts of, um, of, of varied things and like driving quite a long way from uh, you know and out in the country into the city and stuff and that was in New um, Zealand yeah and uh, I mean the the great thing about New Zealand is that three point turn is very easy because the roads are really wide <laughs> and there's hardly ever car any cars um, so talking about that I passed my test in New Zealand so when I came back here 
and went straight back to London, I was terrified. I like, yeah, I mean, you don't need to drive in London. Um, so, so I didn't for about nine years. Um, but yeah, I just thought I won't be able to drive in the UK because it is quite different. Um, yeah, so in New Zealand, um, the, the test was, the test was, yeah, it's, I had a lot of lessons before and I was quite nervous. And also then we had a lot of commuting drives. So by the time I took the test, I felt pretty confident and I did pass it first time, which was awesome. But obviously I did what, uh, what everyone does, came home to mum and I was like, no, I failed. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, ah, just kidding. I passed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, potentially it's a little bit easier in a lot of ways in New Zealand. So, um, you know, maybe that's why I passed first time. Because because uh, my friends, my peers at the time were talking about, you know, third, fourth times of not passing it in the UK. And, yeah, um, it seems harder and harder each year as well. But I don't know what uh, if you agree with that or <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's a whole host of reasons that I'll save for another podcast for that one uh, but down to poor tuition down to bad attitude of overall users down to the attitude of learners picking up bad attitude from their parents and and uh, I think a large part of it is complacency and uh, a lack of um, not taking it seriously it's it's odd, I think, that because you see everyone else driving, you know, I walked into my street, I'm going to see cars. Because yeah. you see everyone else driving, you, I think, in back of your head, either assume it's easy or you think that you should be able to do it and then put that pressure on yourself. Whereas a job such as journalism, you don't see everyone doing that. Mm. so you look at that and think oh I bet that's really hard and I'm sure it is but I mean that's the thought process I bet that's really hard I'd have to train for years to do that just to get up to a, a, a skill level but look at all these people driving I won't need to train for that that must be easy so I do think there's a large part of that but I think we'll, we'll save that full conversation <laughs> for another day but that does actually tie me in slightly to the next question I was going to ask you and I ask all of my uh, guests this that are um that aren't part of our industry and just give me as honest an answer as you can with this because I'm intrigued to know do you have and if so what is your opinion on the driver instructor industry um well it's hard to find or assess good instructors um and then hard to trust them and I especially as a woman as well and especially as a woman with any experience perhaps um, that might be adverse to being alone with a man in a car, a stranger. Um, yeah, it's really, um, it's quite a jump to then trust someone. Um, and also, um, yeah, as in you can't trust someone, you can't really assess them until you are um, having a couple of lessons with them and then realizing they're rubbish or actually feeling comfortable. Um, and I think that puts off a lot of adults as well, or women from even taking lessons or taking um, refreshers. So um, so yeah, to, to finish my sort of driving story as well, um, that when I came back to London, I didn't drive and I was scared to, but then we moved out of London. Um, so I'm kind of nearer to Oxford. And, um, and then I was looking for an instructor then because I hadn't actually been behind the wheel for about nine years. Um, but when I found people just through 
googling whatever I like I kind of called people that either weren't available for like months or and I just wanted one or two lessons to like remind myself because I knew I could drive competently you know years ago um or there was one person that was very over familiar and was then texting me and then I was saying oh I'm really nervous about driving but I have driven before and he was like oh you know I'll, I'll bring you out of your shell and whatever and it was just like it was just a bit creepy <laughs> So I suppose even before you step foot in a car, it's um, it's it's sometimes quite a brave leap to even look for an instructor and trust someone, um, as an adult in particular. Um, and I suppose when you're as a teenager, um, parents sort of do that assessment for you. Um, so yeah, I didn't think of that I guess when I was seventeen. So yeah, that's what I think right now. <laughs> I think it's it's a really interesting point you raise because that's a obviously a perspective of a, of a female. Mm. I'm not. <laughs> I'm a male, and it was something that I never even considered when I first became an instructor. I'd just go and I'd pick up wherever it was and provide the lesson. And it must have been after about a year when I was doing it, when someone actually took a moment to thank me for putting them at ease. It was a young lady. She took a moment to thank me for putting her at ease and said that she'd got mixed up. She was hoping to have an instructor that was um, female, but when she'd seen my, because I worked for a national school at the time, seen my name of Terry and assumed that was female. So I went with that instructor, so she was quite nervous. And that really made me think about that. Like you just said, a young girl being picked up by a bloke, driven somewhere, so maybe don't even know where they are, maybe a quiet area somewhere for your first driving lesson, possibly even in the dark, <laughs> and being a naive fellow that I am, I'd never even registered me. And it was after that point that I did start just to tweak the way I was a little bit around that. And mm. I suppose that I, what you're talking about actually ties into the, the marketing side a little bit. Because my niche, if you like, the people that come to me generally tend to be women. And they generally tend to be around the 25 to, to 30 age. And that's Nothing I've done. No, I don't go out on Facebook and advertise for women between 30, uh, 25 and 30. I don't go on, on Twitter and say, if you're 27 and female, come to me. You know, I don't explicitly do that. But, you know, when you look at my passes, when you look at my Facebook group, and when even when you look at my other podcast, The Five Minute Theory, it breaks down the, the genders of people. It's 65% female that listen. So... Mm -hmm why or could you offer an opinion as to why that might be that I've got this certain clientele coming to me well it's obviously because you're such a ladies man <laughs> <laughs> there's a few people that would argue with that I think. <laughs> um but well we met through um sort of a geeky um like-minded interest Facebook group um coaching for gigs which is great um and so from that, I know you to be, you know, a personable and calm and trustworthy person. So, so then before I would, if I needed an instructor, before I would even Google strangers, then there's kind of that in the first place. Um, and I guess the thing about nice geeky blokes is that, you know, they're not threatening and they're obviously not interested in that. So perhaps that's why. Um, and also, I had a look at your website, and uh, you have a lot of reviews 
which is great. And that's the first thing people look at. Um, and, uh, and, and something that driving instructors tend to not pay enough attention to, um, which I can talk about. But um, yeah, all your, uh, the more reviews you have, especially from women, it's then going to then reinforce that a lot of women just feel comfortable with you. So um, I would say that's why. But yeah, as a person, you're just, you know, you're not threatening. But and even just have being a stranger and not knowing someone has a level of like, OK, I'm not sure whether it's a threat or not, I suppose. Um, yeah. So to be on Facebook and be so visible as well. Um, and, and we know you, we know your dog, and we know, you know, that you chat to your students and have jokes with them. That's that's so completely different to just, you know, yeah, that's that's what makes it way more trustworthy. So I've almost inadvertently created a niche market for myself just by being myself online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um yeah, well, there's a few things to say about that. But yeah, the first thing I would say when I'm looking to Google an instructor is that there's a complete lack of trust. Whereas, yeah, with you, especially on Facebook or any other platform that's so visible and personal and visual, it's like, okay, I know what you look like. I know what your interests are. I know that, like, you know, the things you talk about, that alone sort of breaks the barrier. Of like, okay, yeah, what is he after? <laughs> When you, like you mentioned there, there's a, a lack of trust. Is that because um, someone comes across as untrustworthy or simply because there, there hasn't been a trust formed yet? Um, I think not having a trust formed yet is, is basically it, um, which, is, which goes back to just not, if driving instructors are not doing any marketing at all, especially online, then, um, then you don't even have that chance to... Um, to form an opinion um yeah so so that's just just the absence of it and so I know driving instructors um aren't, aren't online much and if I search on Facebook I didn't really find much that was advertised um even just pages that would come up not I don't mean Facebook advertising um and then when I Google, all that comes up really is, you know, the AA or like the RED and the main schools. But to find an independent driving instructor, it's quite hard. And so when you do, there's not much information about them. It's an interesting point, again, you make there because, um, again, speaking from within the, the industry, there's, there's a, quite a bit of resistance to marketing from a, a large proportion of, of the industry. And uh, that's kind of, it's why I'm doing this podcast. One of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is, is to hold a mirror up to our industry and let them look and see where we can improve, see where we can develop. And I do believe that marketing is one area. There's a lot of people, a lot of instructors that will say they live off referrals. Why should I bother marketing if I just get referrals? My opinion on that is quite simply that you, you are taking a bit of a risk there. What happens when they run out? Now, referrals are brilliant. I get referrals. That's where I get some of my customers from. So, I mean, it's obviously a highest form of praise if someone refers you in a way. It's almost marketing in itself. But if you're not doing anything else beyond that, I do feel like you're running a bit of a risk. What would your thoughts on that be? So referrals are obviously brilliant. Um, and it's, it's huge when someone refers you. And in fact, that's the biggest currency that you can have. 
Um, but it can be used so much better than just relying on word of mouth or the fact that, um, I mean, even just relying on the fact that someone will remember you, because if my friend comes to me and says uh, they're looking for an instructor, I might in that moment be so preoccupied, I forget that, oh, my friend's an instructor. Um, and like you, if you just put your referrals, your reviews, ask people to write them or video or whatever they want to, in their words um, on your website, that alone is going to um, help help draw people to you but it is kind of like referral marketing, but to strangers, uh, because the first thing people will do is read your reviews. Um, in fact, I asked my mum uh, yesterday how she decided um, what instructors to look for when I was 17. And she was like, oh, you know, I just looked at reviews. It was, it was all I did. Um, and, and people who were, who said about, you know, pass rates and, and how long, but mostly it was just reviews of how comfortable they felt because of the parent. She was thinking, okay, yeah, like, you know, my 17-year-old is out with a stranger. So, yeah, there's that too. Um, but uh, in terms of the, from a marketing perspective as well, um, I mean, I've been trained in uh, HubSpot, which is a big uh, marketing school, school of thought academy type thing. Um, and they say more and more, especially since content marketing, digital marketing exists with Google and social media, um, it's it's probably around 90%, but I can find the statistic for you and the links for it. But um, the people deciding to buy anything um, in their own any industry is uh, they want to go away and research themselves before they even speak to a salesperson or, or decide to buy the thing. So um, so just to rely on referrals misses out all of that, right? Because um, no one can actually research you and make up their mind about you first. Um, and it's like what you said, like I know you as a person, so I can make up my mind now whether I would want to buy from you. But uh, if you weren't online at all, then um, I, I, I've just missed like all of that, which, and then it's just easy for you to be yourself. Um, but actually that's a whole relationship you've already built without even meeting them first. Um, and it's the phrase in marketing that we often use, which is to know, like, and trust. And that's what you're building by building anything online. Um, and it's also just more comfortable because when you talk, speak to a salesperson in, in any company, you feel like you're being sold to and you feel like the pressure and you want to say no. But now it's more in the customer's control to read and research and figure out everything. And then they only come to you when they want to buy so in terms of the whole marketing industry across everything, um, that's that's going that's happening. And so people are, are inevitably going to think the same about driving instructors. Um, and especially as, as teachers too, and uh, coaching or teaching industry, teaching industries, um, you kind of want to know the person because it does, it does matter a lot between um, the relationship between the learner and the instructor. As, as I'm sure you will agree, is, uh, is probably the, the main thing about whether or not you'll get on and then whether or not you'll feel comfortable and whether or not you'll learn in the first place. Um, so that is all going to be helped if you actually have stuff online to show in the first place, because you'll be like, okay, I, and your reviews. Um, but the other thing about reviews <laughs> is that it relies on 
I mean, the first obvious thing is that it just relies on the fact that people have friends. <laughs> and I know that sounds silly. And I guess, you know, 17, we typically think of a 17 year old learning to drive and they're in college and they've got lots of friends. Um, but what about, as, as you said, you're attracting, you know, um, people with anxiety and people who are adults. Um, yeah, what about the scared and lone adults that don't have friends and need to drive? Um, driving is probably a big barrier to them making friends too. So uh, that's where they're looking to learn to drive and you're not going to reach them. Um, and the other thing is maybe people who have moved cities or moved countries who don't have friends where they are. And how are they going to um, get, yeah, but they won't have conversations to get referrals if from that, in that city, in that place. So you're already missing out huge, huge chunks of the population that are actively looking to, um, to learn to drive. So those are the main issues with just relying on referrals. <laughs> a lot of information there, a lot of good stuff as well. I think to, to knit a little bit of that together, and please pull me up on this if it's if it, if, if it's not right. But I also get the feeling like with with a review, sorry, with a referral, it's almost like someone's coming to your cult. So if I teach Joe Blogs and Joe Blogs tells Jack Blogs, go see Terry. He comes to me. We just start working together. He's no idea how I work, and I have no idea what he's like. Whereas if someone looks me up online. And research me and sees my live videos and knows that I make stupid jokes about pterodactyls and terrifying and stuff like that and, and gets my sense of humor and that well they're going to make a judgment is that person right for me mm. so they're actually even if the customer was coming to you regardless they're coming in with their eyes open if they've seen you well just coming from a eyes closed they're coming in not knowing what to expect which is immediately going to make them feel more comfortable in their car when they actually they've, maybe they've seen you on a video or, or, or whatever it might be you're going to feel more confident does that sound right yeah absolutely and um, i guess you're saying as well it's like it's, it's like the difference between um so someone's coming to you because they've be, you've been recommended but they don't have a relationship with you individually yet but online the whole the whole point of marketing is to build that relationship so that it's a lot easier to then make the decision to buy. So then um, you've, you've kind of made that relationship happen between you and that person, rather than just relying on what the friend or referral said. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also want to touch back on, on something you were saying about the, uh, the websites, because I think you made a point that you had more to say about those. <laughs> um, my website lay dormant for about a year. I created it, put some okay stuff on there, they ignored it for a year. And it's really all the, the past few weeks where I've gone in and, uh, and, and revamped it and, and beefed it up. But you were saying that that you'd seen some not so good ones and some of the good ones. What are the pointers that you would give us for, for websites? Um, well, I just think it's important. So I guess more that I found websites were absent. And even if you just had a website saying, this is how to contact me and these are my reviews, of people who have passed their tests. That alone is, um, is something people don't do. And that is what people are actively looking for. Um, and so the rest of it, yes, it's relationship building, but um, but most people are making a decision, especially when it's an instructor, especially when it's a, such a one-to-one -one relationship. Um, 
based on reviews and then people are going to read the reviews and thinking okay you know is was did you teach women and how did they feel or basically are people like me did they get on with you and did they pass the test with you um so it's less about reviews saying how great you are but it's more describing the more context you can have in a review the better as well so it's like okay like you know 17 and a woman and whatever or or 30 years old and anxious and moved to a new town or stuff like that would really help too because then people can identify exactly how how it might go because it's a similar situation um but yeah when I think of looking for an instructor the first thing people would do is just google and they google the um near like they will they google the location so i was looking at so seo is very important and i don't know how well versed instructors are um moz.com might be a good place to start and i went on there and just sort of you can type in a keyword which is driving lessons um and then it shows you what people search for and obviously far outweighing all other phrases and and it's pretty simple it's driving lessons plus location is all you need to um include on your website because that's the main thing people are looking for but once they get there that's when they're gonna assess you and whether you're right um but when i looked on moz.com the first the first phrase is um is is was driving lessons near me um and that tells me that it kind of relies on um, on Google and location for a start. So you don't have to worry too much about exactly placing all the exact you know roads and locations and miles near whatever you, where you are. Um, but you should on your website kind of put that and kind of put that on your review page because then it will draw more people to that page in particular. So for example, at the top you could put you know driving um so like these are students who took driving lessons near Birmingham or within you know 30 miles away from you know where I am um and that would just draw Google would draw you know the actual keyword that people are searching for to then click you um click on you and get you onto the first page of Google which improves the chances of people actually discovering you in the first place um but yes, but if you could also double that up with using that on your review page, then um, that's exactly what people are going to be clicking on first anyway, because they're going to be, they're going to care less about, about you or whatever it is, not at first. They're just going to want to know, are you actually competent? And then they'll want to know whether you're, what, where you're from and what you do and how long you've been, you know, teaching. Now, when you're talking about, SEO um, and, and putting stuff on your website. Uh, again, I'm a very much a novice in this stuff, but I'm assuming that you're not necessarily meaning like anything fancy like links or anything like you literally just mean include the words driving instructor, driving lesson, uh, Leeds or Birmingham, wherever you're based. Just include those in any of the things that you happen to be talking about. Uh, yes. So, um, it, I mean, in 10, 20 years ago, it used to be... Um, People used to just stuff uh, keywords everywhere and, and kind of write for the for Google for the machine. And that doesn't work anymore because not only is Google cleverer, but people are kind of know that that actually happens. And if you're talking 
just yeah so worry less about you know algorithms and google and technical stuff but just talking to a person but it's but just see it from their perspective they're going to type in driving lessons near a, their town so you just need to include those words so they actually know they've come to the right place um and yeah so there's that and then the reviews um if you can provide more context around it that also helps the words that they'd be searching for so someone with um someone with anxiety or someone who's kind of hasn't driven for 10 years like like me may well be searching for that like um driving lessons for people that are scared of driving or something <laughs> um so yeah so the more context you have in your review the more people will, will land on that um but yeah so it's not just about it's not about you know repeating driving lessons in every second sentence um once or twice on a page is enough but just make sure you have it so that Google can read that's a relevant page for people who are searching for that. Good stuff. Um, then we come on to social media, the <laughs> one of the greatest and worst creations of all time. Um, so obviously there's a lot of, a lot of different aspects of social media platforms. You've got your Facebook, your Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, all this kind of stuff. My most familiar one is Facebook, and I would have to guess that the bulk of instructors would use and or know Facebook. I think that the big question I, I want to ask you around this is the difference between um, a business page and a personal page. Should we have, but I know, I suppose, got to have a personal page, but should you have both? And, and you know, I suppose, as a tag onto that, how should they be used if you're using both? If you're relying on it to kind of reach new people, then a Facebook business page, um, if you're just posting, is, uh, is, is really hard, really difficult to even build up an audience or to, and even then it won't, it won't uh, reach people. Um, so Facebook personal profiles are what show up in people's feeds, but also groups, which is a big one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that. Um, but yeah, the purpose of a Facebook page is to show you a business and then run advertising mainly, or that's Facebook's, you know, um, design for it. But then a Facebook profile um, is actually the, the communication and the relationship building that, that you want. And if you are going to advertise um, your own business, not to just spam and say that's what you, that's what you do and here book a lesson in every post, but I would suggest that you use your profile, mixing it up with your own personal things, but to say that you are an instructor. Um, and the great thing about the great thing about Facebook and the great, the real reason I think all driving instructors should be on Facebook is because Facebook for the average person, especially you know, younger people, is that Facebook is all about showing photos and showing milestones. So when people have a wedding or people buy a house, the first thing they want to do uh, is, you know, boast about it on Facebook. And it's exactly the same for buying a car and passing their tests and, you know, getting the keys or, or whatever. Or, yeah, so or asking people's opinions about buying a car and everything. Um, and that is going to happen for sure that people will ask opinions about instructors. Um, and I've seen on Facebook 
of people saying, oh, you know, my instructor did this, is this okay? Um, and so it is going to be in the open um, through via your students, if uh, like the good and the bad from instructors. And that's also going to be a main source of referrals um, on Facebook more than conversations these days. And probably kids these days may well talk less to their mates and probably communicate on Facebook more anyway. <laughs> that makes me sound uh, like a grumpy old, um, old woman, but you know, everyone's saying it. <laughs> um so yeah so uh your, your facebook profile and yeah so if a student is really happy with you and they can tag you that's that's huge and uh and and really relatable and then you're also showing yourself to be part of their big milestones and their big journeys and when they buy their car and they tell their story about how you know they were so scared to even um get into a car in the first place and they thought I'd, they'd never reach that point um that's that's a huge story and that's what driving instructors are all about right <laughs> it's um it, it's freedom and independence and it's so much more than just knowing how to change gears without stalling <laughs> <laughs> um and so for that reason facebook and other story telling platforms um is is yeah you should you should be there <laughs> um and yes the in terms of facebook in particular the the profile is what will get you the reach um and be more personable and be able to also add friends as well page can't do that um but a business page is good as if you see it as more of like a brochure so someone can go there and see exactly what times you're available what your prices are whether it's just you or a team and stuff like that. Um, but the big thing about Facebook and when I did a little search last night for how people even decide to um, choose an instructor is that um, a lot of people were talking about frustrations, people that run local Facebook groups for their area, frustrations that they can't find good driving instructors. And so, if you were in local Facebook groups, um, that will probably get you more business because people just don't know how to recommend or refer within a Facebook group. Because yeah, and it's and it's probably the it's a sort of the flip side of just relying on referrals um, only finds you you know the friends of your students, but uh, if you're in a local Facebook group, that ripples out beyond Facebook <laughs> um, because I could be on Facebook and then hear that someone's you know talking about an instructor and, and saying that it was really good or that they're looking for someone and then someone else recommended it and then I will then talk to someone who's not even on Facebook about that um, but yeah so local the local groups not even business groups but local groups whether it's even just really niche ones like I don't know, the local vegan group or something. <laughs> um, but it's like when it's really based on a location, you will just get questions, people asking questions about, oh, where can I find this in this town? Um, it's, yeah. it's interesting you say that, like, especially with the, the vegan thing there, because I genuinely have a customer that claims me because I was vegan. Now, there, there must be other vegan instructors about. There must be. But they've gone... I don't know, maybe they're looking at two or three instructors and thought, well, they're vegan like me. 
I'm going to go to them. I've got people that come to me because they're having... Again, I don't advertise these. I don't go out, look at my mini. You know, I'll mention it, but it's not a, a promotional tactic. But they'll come to me because I drive a mini. They might go to someone else because they're teaching an Audi or whatever. So, yes, that's not going to get you hundreds of thousands of customers. But what it will do, it, it gets me a customer that I enjoy teaching because it's mm. someone that I share a, a commonality with in, in that vegan thing. And, like... Just going back to what you were saying about the, the groups as well. When you talked about the local groups, I think one of the big ones I see, I think they're called the community groups, you know, like mm. for the local area. Um, and one of my students, I'm going on a slight tangent with a little story here, I apologise, but one of my students, she's brilliant. She could single-handedly generate me work for years because she goes in these groups and when someone asks for an instructor, she'll yeah. go in and she'll say, oh, Use my instructor, Terry, and she'll tag me in my personal name. She'll then tag me in my business page. She'll then tag my website. She'll then tag my podcast. And she just starts, to, and he does this. And, he, and like, there's seven links for me. <laughs> this, I'm like, you're like my own little personal promotion. You're like a little walking advert. And all right, not everyone's going to be like that. But like you said, you get those community groups. All it takes is one or two people to mention your name. Yeah. And, and you're getting work. And, and that's that's better than a referral of someone saying to me, oh, yeah, you was Terry. Similar, maybe. Um, the, uh, so, so I'm in Basingstoke, and uh, Spotted in Basingstoke is the biggest Facebook group for, um, for the area. And, um, and within that, there was a lot. So we have, you know, one taxi company that bought out, you know, the other three, and people were really complaining about it. And... Uh, and then as soon as one lone independent taxi sort of firm with two people in it sort of started looking for business in the area, people were like, oh, thank goodness, like, go to that one. It's, it's really good. And he's really good and everything. And yeah, so I guess in, in a similar way, I guess, it's like, you know, if, if an AA or another school was dominating an area, um, and then you start up your business as a lone driving instructor. Um, that it could be, it could be that could be all it takes because people are fed up with the same old instructors in a town. Um, yeah, and and there was issues of safety as well in the um, in the taxi companies um, as well. So a, a lot of women were like, oh, you know, this this guy's really trustworthy. Um, so yeah, so just a local incident can then lead to talk about oh you know we really need to find a different one company that might be dominant um yeah so that that's definitely happened in my area and uh and i bet that's common everywhere <laughs> yeah i can imagine um i mean i'm in Bailden and i i've been doing this for five years now and in the five years i've been doing it i've taught two people in Bailden and Bailden's quite a small little village but that's because there are two instructors here that have been doing it for about 20 years between them. Mm. They've commandeered Bailden. I've never tried to do that. I'm I'm elsewhere, I do a, a bigger area. But like you said, it's it's finding something local, it's finding something unique to you that's a, a USP, I think they call it, a unique selling point. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I wanted to just, just come back on there, something you mentioned back when you were talking about websites, you mentioned about prices being on websites. Mm -hmm. How important, or is it important that, prices should be visible um it's interesting because i would have just instinctively said 
um, yeah, it's obviously important. But then when I asked mum how she looked for the instructor for me, she was like, yeah, I, I didn't worry about that so much. I just wanted to know about safety and pass rates first. Um, and then I would find to call about the prices. So, um, so yeah, I think that's probably, um, and, and I guess thinking about it, whether from a parent's perspective or thinking about it for me, if I was worried about who I was with, yeah, I'd be looking at that or, or like, in, that would come across in reviews as well. Um, and I, then I wouldn't mind calling for a price. So um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's my answer. Um, but obviously it's also nice to know like what to expect um, with the price. But I know that in the driving instructor industry, you, you basically, hmm, I don't know if it's true actually. Well, you hear a lot of um, competing on price and competing on, you know, bundles. So it's like, you know, a hundred pounds for, I don't know, 10 lessons or something. And then, you know, everyone jumps on that. Um, but actually if you had paid 30 pounds or something, you'd get a way better thing and you'd probably save money in the long run because you'd get better lessons and you'd pass your test quicker. So, um, so yeah, I think money's quite hard to assess as a customer. So, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd rather get a good one. It, it's interesting you say that um, regarding prices. I'll, I'll see if I can lay out the situation because I'd be interested with your thoughts on that. There's, there does seem to be two schools of thoughts. I mean, obviously there's probably more, but two main schools of thoughts. One is that we're generally too cheap and we should be raising as, as prices. And the other is, like you said, competing for prices. Let's go as low as we can to try and attract custom. Um, from my own personal experience, and I think I've got quite a good gauge on this in that I, again, where I live in Belden, it's on, kind of on the border between Leeds and Bradford. Leeds is generally a bit of a more affluent area than, than Bradford. Mm. And I will speak to other instructors in Bradford that say they have to charge these lower rock bottom prices for, for Bradford, but I never do. I did once and I, I'll sort of come away from that. And so that you've got those two competing trains of thought there. Um, where would you stand on the prices there in that sense? In the, not even sure what question I'm asking you there. <laughs> um, but yeah, what would your take on that be? Do you think that competing for lower prices to try and get customers in is necessarily a good way to go because obviously that's maybe attract the people who are more focused on price or do you think that setting the prices to what you want and letting people come to you is the the better option um all i can think of reasons um is uh, all i can think of is reasons to uh, stick to high uh, uncomfortable prices for you because I mean, that's because it surprised me about um, what mum said as well when I said, uh, you know, did, oh, did you, didn't you care about price and bundles are advertised everywhere? But mum said, no, when I found a cheap one, uh, I didn't either didn't think they were good or I worried about, you know, how um, I just worried about something like, you know, or the, or the pass rate wasn't good. Uh, usually it showed up as well. And it just wasn't the first thing. Um, so mum was like, you know, money's no object because actually, and, and that's how people should think as well about driving because money, well, safety and independence and, you know, 
freedom and in growing up and all of that yeah if you're if you are focused on the as as a student if you're focused on the price you may not be taking it so seriously um and you and you should be seeing it as a long term you should be thinking long term and thinking that paying more for good lessons will actually get you there faster and probably save money anyway um and it is like a commitment and yes it's expensive but that just means you should wait until you're ready to do it right <laughs> um but yeah and then on on the other side as, a, as an instructor if you have very cheap prices people may just worry that you're not good <laughs> and safety is you know priceless isn't it so definitely <laughs> um you did make a point there though that i want to dig into a little bit which was you mentioned about how people should think yeah. and that's something i've been talking about a lot recently that people do have a certain in, in my experience a certain perception of the driving industry you look at the number of parents that teach their kids the the, the phrases we in, in the industry here a lot which is um, you learn to drive once you're passed you know you yeah. get that when you get experience and those sort of things I, I do feel there's at times quite a negative industry looking in. And I think part of that comes from the perception we give off. Like mm. you said, if you're driving around in a in a car with a sign plastered on the side, say, you know, passing a week or, you know, 10 hours for under a pound, it's, it's not necessarily giving off the, the best impression. And I feel that we need to tell people how to think about us by changing their perception of us. I think mm. that's important. And we need to raise our standards as an industry. And one of the ways we can do that is, I mean, market isn't quite the right term, but almost marketing and how we are on these social platforms. So mm. not arguing and bickering. And in some of the groups, I mean, where you'll see a student ask a question and you'll get 10 different instructors arguing about it. Or the instructors groups where they argue with each other rather than having a, a discussion and you know this kind of thing and it's almost I feel like we need to make a united front a little bit more it's, what are your thoughts on that is that something that you would agree with or do you think I'm being a little bit pompous there or no I completely agree um and well in marketing terms you're talking about positioning and uh and it is with with pretty much anything you buy as well like you you might um if you go into a restaurant and it's a hundred pounds for a, a meal or it's 10 pounds, your perception is instantly different without even looking at the menu. Um, and so, yeah, when you're just driving past in a car with that advertised or, or you're on Facebook and you're advertising that um, on price or on, or on speed of like, you know, passing. Yeah. I just think, well, I just, yeah, I, I just think that's not and also the thing is like okay people say it's expensive and you know it, if it's if you charged 100 pounds an hour which uh, I'm sure would be nice um then uh then people will be like oh that's way too expensive and um and you know that you're ripping people off but on the other hand buying a car is really expensive so, and it's like anything like sure it's great if we could all do things for free um and but in this capitalist society having um having a car is expensive in the first place so you should probably take it seriously and and, and see it that way too because you shouldn't be able to afford it 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, that's a, a valid point. You know, if, I suppose if you can't afford driving lessons, how are you going to afford a car? Mm. And that's not meant to belittle anyone at all. Mm. It's it's planning. You know, if you need to put off lessons by six months to save up, then then put off lessons by six months. But I, I do think that. And again, this is, again, part of what this podcast is about, shining light on our industry and looking at what we can do different, how we can change that perception. And as we said, position ourselves in, a, in a, a certain way. And I think the other, probably the final topic I wanted to speak to you about, I'll, I'll touch upon, um, is the position we're in now. Because we're in a position as an industry where there's a backlog of about half a million driving tests because of the whole lockdown scenario. Mm. So in theory, for the next year to 18 months, there shouldn't be a single driving instructor that's shot on work. We should mm. just be snowed under and literally not have to advertise, not have to do a single thing, and we'll just keep work pouring in. That, in reality, that's what it's going to be like for the next 12 months. My take on this is this is the perfect time to experiment. If you're someone that's never used social media, for example, this is the perfect time to do it because if it goes wrong, you're still going to be inundated with students. My fear as an industry is that people are going to rest on their laurels because they've got the work coming in. And then in a year and 18 months when work starts drying up, there's going to be a lot of people that I genuinely think are going to be struggling. So what advice would you give to driving instructors now to, to deal with the, the upcoming year I've made this a very long-winded question. I do apologise. But what advice would you give to driving trucks to deal with the upcoming year of a, an influx of work? Um, the first concern, I guess, is that it would give the worst instructors, whoever they are, um, a boost of false confidence and they'll lapse into, you know, bad habits or they'll get away with teaching you know the way they're teaching that isn't necessarily a good way um and or or you know bad relationships with students or whatever and then um that will then um i mean thinking on a society level you know a driving instructor is huge you're you're a pillar for society and safety <laughs> <laughs> um without you without a good instructor um, actually teaching safety and making sure someone passed the test, which is there for a reason, um, then, yeah, that there'll be a lot more danger in the world, right? So <laughs> um, just purely on that basis, um, just, yeah, just be careful of, I don't know, fake confidence and to make sure that you're, um, that you're doing the best job possible by your students. And that involves finding the right people and the right relationships and so I guess that um don't feel so arrogant <laughs> <laughs> if you have an influx of you know inquiries that's probably got nothing to do with you as you said so um yeah and so the other side of that is how will people find you and how will they decide you because if there is a huge um influx of people desperate for instructors um well, actually, that makes me think that if, if that's a good problem to have, but an instru instructor may well need to have, you know, waiting lists that are quite long. And that will show you how valued you are, um, that people are prepared to wait as well to get you. Um, so that could be interesting. But, um, but all that comes down to how people 
find you and then how well they know you and trust you. So I think with marketing and with experimenting, it's great because you should learn um, different ways of marketing because, yeah, as, as you say on a basic level, if referrals dry out, what are you going to do? If you've learned nothing else, then you're stuck. So, um, so yeah, just experiment. But in that experimentation, if you're deciding to use Facebook or even if you're deciding to use Clubhouse or starting a podcast or using TikTok, I mean, all those places with TikTok and stuff like that is probably a good way to catch 16, 17 year olds too. Um, and experimenting and having fun yourself, just being a personable um, person <laughs> online um, is going to bring people to you who you're going to have better relationships with. They're going to trust you easier and the lessons will go better as a result. Um, and that could be through any mode and any platform. So you might as well just experiment. I mean, most of us scroll our phones for something anyway, right? You might as well just try, uh, try it for work. <laughs> um, are a lot of instructors, because you say, you know, a lot of instructors um, haven't used social media in um, any great ways, but do you think they're on it personally? Because um, if they are, then, you know, they might as well just try a little, but do you think instructors in general hate social media? Um, it's a good question and it is a difficult one to answer because I can't speak for all instructors. Yeah. There are some out there that are genuinely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, they really are, not just at marketing, but the way that they use social media, the way that they run a Facebook group or the way that they interact with people on there. Um, but there is definitely a large proportion of people that either don't use social media, dislike social media or use it badly. Um, and I think the biggest number is probably the using it badly. And my take on that is partly a lot of them don't know how to use it. They, they don't realize that an open Facebook group can be seen by everyone, or they don't realize that a comment they post in a, favorite, a, a private Facebook group could be screenshot and posted elsewhere. They don't realize that a student might go and search their name when they're looking for instructors and see all their racist posts and, and think I don't want to go to them, you know, but I also think part of it is fear, fear of not knowing how to or fear of being judged and ridiculed by for doing something different or, you know, being judged by 17 year olds because that 30 year old using TikTok. Um, <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of different reasons there. Yeah. Yeah. But the latter is a good point um and you know that getting over the fear of even trying something new is a difficult one um for all of us um yeah i but but from what you other said um from the previous things you said in terms of learning how to do it in the first place or learning to do something that you've um like you know learning what clubhouse is and how to operate it or for example um that it's never been easier to, uh, to find um, sort of how to start uh, or how to um, tutorials and blogs and websites sort of go through it. Um, and even Facebook itself, uh, obviously being around for a long time, they have their own um, lessons and academies and, and sort of how to start a group and stuff. They explain it themselves. Um, and I'll, I'll find some links as well for people 
to start at the beginning because there are a lot of, especially with social media, there's a lot of sites dedicated to how to start things right from the beginning. Um, the, the other thing as well that I would really recommend experimenting with, and if it's a failed experiment, you know, you haven't lost anything. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, but with audio, so you have a podcast, um, not this one, but uh, you also have Five Minute Theory. Podcast. Five Minute Theory. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking that and also audio books or audio courses. Um, should be something that driving instructors should think about because you could then almost follow along and practice in your car with it playing um, and and sort of or while you're while you're while you're in the car and you listen to music so I guess you know if someone's a musician as well they could make theory into a song or something <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's what we do in the car right we listen um, to things and you could you could kind of incorporate that and almost be a lesson without being there. Um, so that could be quite interesting. Um, there's, sorry, I'm interrupting. I think there's definitely yeah. more scope there for the audio for instructors and for learners. Hmm. Um, you know, I suppose as a learner, if if you're in the car with an instructor, the instructor can talk anyway. So it's yeah. almost not removing the need for it, but there's other areas where that could be used, obviously. But I think there's definitely a big scope for that with instructors, which, again, is part of the reason behind this podcast doing it in such a way. And there has actually been a, a few podcasts released for instructors. Well, a few. I think there's two, including mine, <laughs> over ah, lockdown. Interesting. So, yeah, I was, I was very surprised when I was kind of looking on social media and for podcasts um, about driving or driving instructors or even, you know, students like talking about their journey to learn to drive and that that could be interesting like you could kind of someone could do a joint podcast with a teacher and a learner like who knows but um yeah it's it's there's, there's definitely a lack of that with audio and I think so because there's another thing when I was searching as well for how to decide to look for instructors there was kind of a checklist and um, I can find the link if you want it there's a checklist of things that parents could ask or check before they kind of book in. And one of them was, would the instructor allow the parent to kind of sit in the back to see how the instructor teaches? So then when they practice with the parent, they kind of know what to go over. Um, and I was just thinking um, yeah, that that's, and that's, and that's a great um, possibility, but then you could almost do that in the same way with an audio course or an audio, like, you know, um, follow along and then the parent can know what a lesson should cover because the whole point of that part of the checklist was that parents may have passed their test you know 30 years ago and uh, and that's changed a lot I mean it changes yearly or changes often um, yeah or you know and different instructors are different well they're not supposed to be but they are <laughs> it's I mean, we, with a couple of the ideas you mentioned there, you may or not be giving away my next release, <laughs> but um, it's a valid point because at the yeah. minute, if, if a 17-year-old is having to wait six months for a driving lesson, who's going to teach them in them six months? Yeah. This, and I would rather have someone out teaching them safely and correctly mm. than, than, than not at all. Um, so, yeah, you, and the other thing I like what you talk about there is it's thinking outside the box. It's doing something a little bit different. And that's a theme of running 
through these podcasts I'm not as I'm recording these is the people I'm speaking to are just talking about doing something slightly different we're not staying on that same track that's been in place since like the 80s or 70s and teaching the same way we're doing things a little bit different and not being scared to do that um so yeah I think that kind of brings me to my my final question which is it's almost putting you on the spot a little bit to finish up with Uh oh. <laughs> yeah now you can only pick one so if you were to give one piece of advice, um, one tip to driving instructors across across the UK, it could be marketing, could be anything. What what one piece of advice or tip would you give to us instructors? <laughs> Haven't I given you enough already? <laughs> I want one more. I want one thing that we're going to take away from it. The most important thing. Um, well, I kind of hinted... Um, and, and it weaves into everything I said, I guess, but I would like to see um, instructors and teachers talk more about, um, well, tell more stories. So the story and, and kind of through that, communicating the value of it, and it's to learn, to learn storytelling um, is also to help people make that emotional decision and emotional connection with you. But it's like what I was saying with them, um, you know, it's safety and road accidents and all of that. It, it comes down to, you know, how you teach and freedom and independence and celebrations on Facebook about, oh, I bought my first car or I passed my test. Um, there's whole stories behind that. Um, and even with me talking about like, oh, I hadn't driven for 10 years and I was really scared, but um, I didn't know like how to communicate with the stranger or whatever those um those stories and because I think just a random conversation when you bring up oh you know driving instructors people instantly think oh it's a bit boring it's a bit us all like clutch control and uh, learning to indicate or something but actually no it weaves into like every part of everything and it's independence and safety in particular and um and it's so important so if you could tell more stories about all of that and it's not so dry and boring and that will get students more excited, but more excited about the right things yeah. like like safety. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. And even that goes right back to what we were saying at the beginning about the accidents not being reported. Mm. You know, we can as instructors, we can tell those stories. You know, yeah. that's not the, the fun, pleasant stories, but it's still the story of something that matters. As we say, we, we see every day people driving on the road. We don't say every day the five people that have died on the road. Mm. So there's no reason as an injury we can't raise those stories. We can celebrate the people that have, you know, failed 10 tests and passed the 11th. We can celebrate the people that have, have had six hours. We can celebrate the people that picked up after 10. You know, mm. that. I, I like that's a good piece of advice I like that one <laughs> yay well thank you <laughs> glad I didn't, didn't disappoint being put on the spot there but uh but yeah but I mean the first thing I was thinking of when I was thinking oh you know what do I talk to you about it's like actually it's so much more than just sitting in a car it's and it's and it's when a 16 year old thinks oh I want to learn to drive now that signifies so much more that's growing up that's uh that's, you know, independence, that's all sorts of things. Yeah. I have written that down um, before anyone else hears it because that may be my new tagline, driving. <laughs> it's so much more than sitting in a car. 
that's quite a good one actually yeah. I, I am a fan of that and I am I am taking that awesome <laughs> exactly thank you so much for giving us your time today uh, it's oh. been brilliant it's been really insightful there's been some really good uh, just sort of short tips and some some bigger explanations as well so that's been awesome where can people find you if they wanted to contact you to ask you for more advice to join your membership to just be friends with the wonderful Amanda where can people find you <laughs> well thank you and uh, obviously I'm on Facebook and it's how we met so um actually uh, you can go to my Facebook page which is a leak pounces um, and my membership is called Pounce, so that's why it's not just that I randomly pounce. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a website which is currently under construction, but it's, it will be pouncepride.com. Um, and, and everywhere else on Instagram, Twitter and stuff, I'm at aleakwrites. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I will put all those links, as I mentioned before, into the show notes. Uh, so, uh, yes, thank you for your time today. Oh, well, thank you. This has been great. Thank you to Amanda there. My theory on these podcasts is that if I find them interesting, other people find them interesting. And I found that fascinating. I think the idea of building relationships and marketing to a niche is something we could do more. So whether you like working with the youthful exuberance of sort of 17 year olds, or whether you're someone that would rather work with older students or whatever your marketing niche, I just think it's a brilliant time to start building relationships with those. And again, that doesn't mean spending 20 hours a day on Facebook. It means just tailoring the way you speak slightly. And there are some brilliant tips and and advice there from Amanda and I think it's something we can all learn from there so yeah big shout out to Amanda for coming on uh, and make sure you check the show notes and go give her a follow because she drops a lot of useful information and if you want to learn how to build relationships Amanda's someone that can teach you that just by following her So thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you click subscribe wherever you're listening so that the next one will drop straight into your podcast feed. If you want to get in touch with the show, head over to tcdrive.co.uk. You can get in touch with me by any method over there. And remember, let's just keep raising standards and stay safe.